trusty ear pod mic the bed and I didn't even notice it while recording until afterwards where I had to try to take that sound out and really couldn't so next week I'll be up and running with my high quality mic and sorry for all the weird crinkly sounds love you all right welcome to another episode yay we're actually having episodes again of <laughs> municipal mania 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 in case you didn't know municipal mania is heard every wednesday at 11 a.m right here on wrirlp 97.3 fm richmond independent radio we're happy to have you and we're excited to start a new season with some topics that we've actually wanted to talk about for a while. Uh, participatory budgeting especially is something that has interested me for quite a while and it just so happens that there is an organization here in Virginia that kind of works that into their thing, but it's much, much more than that. So as is tradition, we are going to let our guest introduce himself. Happy to do that. Well, I'm excited to be here. Um... My name is Matthew Slats. I am right now, uh, for the moment, um, I'm wrapping up a PhD at UVA where I'm working with public housing residents in Charlottesville to understand how they make uh, magic happen here in Charlottesville in terms of public housing redevelopment. So it's like 40 years of amazing Black uh, women-led like organizing work in Charlottesville. Um but also, you know, have been working on participatory budgeting efforts for a long time, trying to bring some of that magic to Virginia as a whole. And then actually just started a new job um, working at VCU, um, trying to help do some equity and um, community engagement, community development work. So that's like still learning what that might be. Um, so excited to, to be in Richmond a lot more now um, and to be kind of present in a way that I haven't been in the past. So it's, it's uh, an exciting moment, but background as an artist uh, and a community organizer an activist, really focusing on like, how do we make sure people who live in you know, our communities have control of what happens in their neighborhoods. So that's, that's my, my love and my heart. Let's talk a little bit about Virginia Solidarity Economy Network. Okay. Because I don't think a lot of people know about it around here. <laughs> no. And it would be good to educate them. I mean, I, I'm super interested in it. So what is it? What's the story behind it? And Richmond has talked a little bit about participatory budgeting, but like, it's so much more than that. Like a solidarity economy is so much more than that. So let's discuss that a little bit. Yeah. Participatory budgeting has been my kind of like gateway to solidarity economy. So I'll say a lot of the stuff is coming out of South America. Like, like it started there down there like 20 or 30 years ago. Um, after all these dictators got kicked out and the communities had a moment to kind of rebuild and rethink about what the future of their countries might look like. So, and a lot of bad stuff had happened. You know, people were, didn't have a voice in the communities. They were having a hard time getting jobs, you know, in, industry was being lost. Um, their communities were suffering from, from a lot of things. So they started to kind of like rethink 
what might be possible. And there's a lot of different things that happen. So participatory budgeting is one thing where a community or like a city sets aside a percentage of its budget and then lets residents decide how it's spent. But then other things like like worker cooperatives, so worker ownership of businesses, um, which is has a history in the U.S. too. It's mutual aid. Um, I mean, we 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 especially with COVID, the COVID nineteen crisis, mutual aid has become a conversation at the forefront of like trying to keep our communities alive. And so there's similar efforts there. So there's been this kind of interesting dialogue back and forth between what's been going on in South America and then North America and Europe, it's around the world. It's a, it's a global movement, but the kind of core idea is that it's almost more of a kind of a question. It's like, well, what if we built a economy, which is a term a lot of people like don't understand or don't like, or don't feel like they're a part of, um, even though like everything we do has some kind of, you know, economic, way of like helping us live, which is really what an economy is. It kind of puts these values in place. It says, can we build an economy that's based on democracy? And so making sure people have a say in how it, who it supports and who it helps. It's around solidarity. So it recognizes that we're not individuals, but we live in a world that's social and, you know, that we have families and we, we have communities and those are all connected together. It's about equity, which has like the, been the big term for a long time, especially around the racial justice movements. But an equity that is really just trying to build a world where people can be their best selves and they're not being held back by like racism or or poverty or all, I mean, all the bad things that they, that can hold people back. And then they use this also use this term pluralism, which primarily means that like there's lots of different ways of going about doing something instead of having one way of doing something we've got to recognize that many different cultures have many different ways of doing something and valuing the the importance of of what those cultures bring to the table it has those values and it says well let's try to build an economy around that uh, so that's really what the solidarity economy kind of like at the bigger level 30,000 foot level is and then this is like this, it's it's worker co-ops, it's participatory budgeting, it's mutual aid, um, it's trying to make sure that our communities we live in are are healthy and well, and and people can live their best lives. Yeah, Richmond actually has a history with solidarity economy that I don't think maybe people don't realize or they know the name Maggie Lena Walker, right? Yeah. But I don't know if they put these two together. Can you talk about that and give us a little history lesson? Yeah. So uh, while I talked about things coming out of South America and kind of being this amazing um, thing, there's like a massive history in the U.S. around solidarity economies. It's not something that just kind of came out of nowhere. So, you know, I mean, Maggie Walker, who we all know and and is kind of a, and a very important historic figure in, in Richmond, um, I mean, she started working kind of in black communities to kind of like through the penny saver, right? Like saving little bits of money to then that, that both got invested in communities to benefit them, to invest in little businesses or to invest in some kind of like community need or whatnot. Um, and that grew over time, right? There was it, you know, it bought houses, they own a lot of property, all of which, most of which disappeared when they put the interstate through. There was a, there was a um, meet like these these insurance companies. So you could 
provide you know benefits if you were hurt um, uh, at work or if someone passed away in your family and you could you needed to to provide for the family or or you know pay for a, a burial plot like historically black communities have had because of racism and that's so rooted in in the U.S have had to create these systems to make sure that they can um, avoid risk and, and be resilient in the future. And so Maggie Walker is a great example. One of the first black cooperatives in the whole country was in this little town outside of um, Charles city, uh, Virginia called Ruthville. It's like a, it's like a crossroads. Um, and it's primarily, you know, um, enslaved laborers came off, off the land and they built a community and they were like, how do we, how do we get access to the resources we need? And so they created this co-op and they would go buy, you know, seed and plants and flour in Richmond collectively. And they would bring that back to their community and it would sustain them. Um, so a lot of this stuff is not about like wealth building, right? Let's not be the most wealthiest person, but about like just well-being. Like, how do we make our you know, communities like educated and provide the food that they need? And it's about, you know, having those resources at your, at your table. And, and it's the more, if you start to look for it, the more you realize there's such a wealth of history in Virginia, these amazing assemblies that were doing things in rural counties uh, in the seventies through this organization called the national association for the Southern poor. And they, they built community centers and all kinds of different things. And that was throughout the whole Southern part of the state, most of which its history is not told and uh, needs to be told. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Like there's many layers to this in Virginia. So much to explore and learn from. Um, it's kind of exciting, you know, to know that something like this has been in our region for a while. Um, but now is a real now is an excellent time to open up and talk about this subject and really get involved. Because I mean, in Richmond, we do have a lot more. We have mutual aid. We have a lot of folks coming together to to work cooperatively to um, have cooperative communities. I mean, I even have friends who not related at all, but they're living together, buying land, buying homes together to sustain each other. Fran, did you have anything you wanted to add? I know you're in a restaurant right now. <laughs> no, I'm just agreeing because I know exactly what he's talking about. And it's very enriching to hear it told because a lot of um, folks in my extended family were in that co-op. Um, and it's, I don't know, it's just great to hear those things like being talked about and hopefully being replicated in other places. That was one of the key pieces to generating generational wealth building for so many families in that area because they were able to do more than make ends meet because of those things. And so that's all I want to say. Capitalism is seriously tightly woven into American society. And some might even say it's like our culture. I mean, let's be real. It's a white culture to be specific. But your group says there's a better way. There's a better way to do this a more equitable way. And so how are you educating the public on this? Let me start by saying, so what, uh, two years ago, right? Right. Like right as the COVID crisis was kind of impacting us all, um, a lot of us had been you know, involved in the various like racial justice issues that are like ongoing in Virginia. A group of us who are from all over Virginia, from Danville, from Northern Virginia, from the Shenandoah Valley, Norfolk, we kind of got together and said, there's got to be a different way. And there's this, this idea called solidarity economy. And let's take some time together just to kind of learn and study what this might be and how it might look like in Virginia. I mean, most of us are not economists. Like we're just people living in our communities, recognizing problems, 
Um, and so it's like, how do we build something? Um, and we just needed to learn. So there's a lot of great uh, books out there. Um, this great book called Collective Courage by Jessica Gordon Embar, which is where I first learned about Ruthville. Um, that talks about this amazing history of, of Black-led worker cooperatives throughout the South. And Virginia pops up a lot in that book. And we started reading other, just reading and talking and learning from each other and trying to understand what was going on. Um, and so that, like that self-study, it was such a key piece of, of what we started to make happen at first. And it was, it's still a small group of people. It's not like it's a huge thing, um, but it's growing. Um, you know, we spent six months just, just doing that work. Um, we started inviting speakers um, to the table. Somewhere on YouTube, there's a bunch of speaker recordings of us inviting people from around the country. Um, really amazing work happening in Jackson, Mississippi with Cooperation Jackson. Really amazing work happening up in Chicago with the Cola Nut Collaborative doing time banking and other solidarity economy efforts. There's a lot of really amazing work happening up in the Northeast through uh, uh, Mass Solidarity, this Solidarity Economy Network in, in Massachusetts. Um, but those places are very different too. They have different cultures, different histories. I mean, Massachusetts is such a, you know, such a, a history of labor organizing and like some of the, a lot of the cooperative conversations, those are tied together, um, in really interesting ways, um, that, that we may forget about sometimes, but we did a lot of like talking to people. Um, and then we reached out to people in Virginia because we started to realize too, that, you know, as much as we might not see these systems going on. There have been people in Virginia doing this work for a long, long time. I mean, the Black you know, history is 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 there if you look for it. There's, you know, you turn around and you see it, um, the more you kind of put your, your glasses on to see it. Um, and like people like Maggie Walker are just the, are just the kind of the tip of the iceberg in terms of, of, of all that's gone on. But then you start to talk to people like people doing food cooperatives and in Fredericksburg or Roanoke, um, you talk to people who are doing land trusts and like in Richmond and, and, you know, rural Southwest Virginia farmers thinking about agriculture in a different way, right? It's about land stewardship and not just about extracting from the land and the way we always think about it. So that's the thing that we started to, to do a lot of is just like to start to see what was going on and how could we value that and build the connections um, around what was going on um, and seeing what's possible. I mean, it's, you know, it's amazing to see people like, you know, we talked to Duran Chavis and, and Sankofa Farms and, and on the south side of Richmond, Duran's doing amazing, beautiful stuff um, and, and, and trying to think about how he's imagining other worlds and trying to think about how that, those ideas can be spread around and shared to others. If you're so, listening, Duran, we're going to be hollering at you to have you on the show for next month, by the way. That's good. That's good to know. Um, I mean, it, it's 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 like Duran, it's like Chris uh, Newman up at uh, Sovanqua Farms up in on the Northern Neck. Chris is doing amazing work um, thinking about like food justice and food democracy. Yeah. And so I think it's just to be about being curious um, and trying to see see what's possible. Um, I mean, there was a, in Charlottesville, there was a really beautiful project that came out of the mutual aid worth effort um, where they created a free store and Kong and a few others did this amazing. It hasn't, it didn't last very long, but it was a great example of like what could happen if a community kind of rallied around itself and provided the resources it needed. 
And so, so, so yeah, just really being curious and kind of getting out in the communities and thinking about talking to people. Some of these things you have to uh, involve the local governments in, right? Like, so if we're talking participatory budgeting, how do you get like these bastions of capitalism, um, (laughs) you know, and, and government to, to listen to you, to buy in to participatory budgeting? Um, You know, how do you, how do you convince them to loop the general populace in? That's a huge question. Um, and it's one thing we think about, like, do we really want, you know, politicians to be involved? And I'll say early on in the Solidarity Com, we said, no, we were like, we don't want them coming in and kind of taking the air out of the room, talking about whatever political platform they're working on and trying to be, trying to be open, like really making this not about like what you know and who you know, but really about like a curiosity about coming in and learning together. Um, so we were really working, we've been working a lot and trying to get and meet people where they're at and allow them to step into the space and learn from them and learn what they bring to the table. Um, so I'll say we've been taking an approach of just like, we don't really care about government. Government's not what's important right now. Um, you know, their response to the COVID crisis was slow. And we what we realized is that communities can build the the resilience they need themselves in a lot of ways, like these ideas of self-determination and autonomy are really, really important. Um, so, but I think as the things have kind of like settled back down in somewhat normal st- stance, like it, we start to question them about, about what it is um, they can do and can support. So I think that over time, we're going to be really thinking about policy. Like we, we've got worker co-op law in Virginia, but it's not very strong. It's pretty weak. Um, Lee Carter did a first step of that two years ago, but it could be much better. And we need that legislation to make worker cooperatives viable in the state of Virginia. You know, participatory budgeting is an ongoing battle. I mean, it's 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 been on again, off again, on again, off again in Richmond. Um, you know, there's efforts to kind of get it going again that hopefully we'll see that kind of happen next year. But you know, the political system, the way it keeps shifting and changing, it's like, how do we build, like, how do we build the foundations for that to happen? It, it's not going to come through government. It's going to come through communities coming together, that being the foundation and then placing demands on, on government to do the work that you want them to do. So, um, um, but even questions around like all this federal money that's been coming down the pipe, all this ARPA money that's been, it's like, who, who has control of that? Who's making decisions about about that? And so, you know, writing op-ed pieces, kind of asking, you know, our our local governments to think about, like, well, don't just invest it in streets and things. Like, listen to the people; they know they're on the ground. They know what is needed in their communities. So that's a big piece of of a lot of a lot of this. Um, but it's not easy. I mean, it's it's the cities that do it and do it well. There's this interesting like connection, either community has gotten strong, gotten organized and placed a demand and they've, and people in in power have listened, um, or they've gotten elected people, they've gotten people elected into positions of power that will fight for that, those things. Um, and we're kind of trying to figure out, still figure out like how best to do that, uh, in places like Charlottesville and Richmond and other places. So I was wondering if there are, you know, other cities that are doing this, that are doing well, um, like that you can cite that maybe our listeners can look up, you know, do a little research on. Definitely. First place I would go is Durham. 
Durham, North Carolina has a participatory budgeting process, which was super successful, super engaged. It really did the extra work to kind of bring, to bring the community into deciding how $3 million is spent in their community. So I look at them as, as kind of the most obvious um, example. We can look around the country though, um, New York City, Boston, you know, Seattle, um, there's there's processes in, in in Arizona where school districts are 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 doing it with students and parents. I mean, it's a it's a, a pretty flexible way of of helping do it. And once you get people bought in, I think they start to realize what the possibilities of it are. Um, which is just it's more than just spending money with the voice. It's it's about training the community to to you know have a say because we we've been systematically stopped from doing that. Um, and so, you know, the more we can find ways of building that, that knowledge base and those skills, the better. Yeah. I mean, how do you convince people that like, this is a sustainable system. This is not just for like earthy, crunchy, hippie folks. It's more than that. It is for everyone. Like how, how's your messaging? Because, you know, we got a lot of folks who are naysayers. (laughs) Yeah. And, and even the term, like the term participatory budgeting is like a hard word to even say. And people hear a term like budgeting and they're like, oh, like I'm running away. <laughs> like I look at a spreadsheet of numbers and like my eyes go cross. And that's that's the reality of our system. That's that, that's what our system produces. Um, and so we really need to force, you know, budget, you know, budget analysts and stuff to think differently and think about budgets less as spreadsheets, but more or as like stories about what the future of our communities want to become. Um, I talk about, you know, a lot about budgets as, as, as investments in our future. Um, And we start to see them that way, then they take on different meaning. Um, So that's, that's a big piece of it. Um, It's kind of dispelling some of those myths um, and getting people just to be comfortable with, with that language. But we would talk a lot about about pairing up the knowledge that you know the city staff has or city council members have and the knowledge that the community has. And so if we can put that together, we get better decision making um, instead of like one group making all the decisions and then leaving the other one out of it or one group making all the decisions, assuming that they know what the community wants and they really don't. Um, so those are some things to think about. Um, but it's not an easy thing. People want to hold power. Um, and um, when you elect someone into office, they think that they have that that right. And I think when you look at a politician that really takes the time to think and listen and and hear from the community, even when the, those ideas are divergent from their own, um, sometimes um, you're seeing someone that's taking the time to kind of really, really do the work that they were elected to do. A solidarity economy, it's not just about money, right? Like there are social justice issues here. There's racial equity here. There's mm-hmm. the environment. Talk a little bit about that. How, like, the reach of it, the fingers that would go out if we could implement some of these programs. Yeah. I mean, it's systematic, which makes it hard, right? Like it's a huge system, right? What's not just, yeah, it's not just like, you know, going to the store and paying, you know, reasonable prices for a a gallon of milk. Um, That is one thing, right? Um, It's recognizing that the farmer that produced that milk deserves to be paid uh, a reasonable salary, right? Because of all the work that goes into making that milk. It's about making sure that the animals, you know, have a rich life um, for the the materials that they're supplying. Um, 
um, and that they're not harmed, or at least harmed to the most minimally way that they 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 are. Um, it's about being non-extractive of of our resources as much as we can, because we know that that those resources go away. So I think a lot about the solidarity economy. Um, like if we're going to create, say, if we're going to create a new economy in Virginia, we've got to think about our legal system. So our legal system is not set up to punish people and it's not set, set up to actually provide the means to, to make things like that happen, um, to make a, the, our communities resilient. Um, it's a political system that is actually is listening to community and finding ways to, to value their opinions and create platforms for those conversations to come forward. It's a financial system that doesn't just benefit one group of people, but you know, provides the capital that needs to go into communities to make them um, healthy and provide the resources they need. It's an educational system. I mean, it, you can keep on going and, and it's how those things all work together, which is a hard thing even to hold in your brain. I, I, I did a diagram once where I try to like look at all this and think about it. And it's like, it just makes me like makes my head spin sometimes, but that's what it is. It's, it's, it's about our entire lives um, and how our, our, how our communities function and work. So I think that's where the values come in, right? I think we can, we can, we can always balance decision-making and about uh, go on in our daily lives in relationship to those values. We start to start to kind of realign things. And I think we're doing that already. We're, we're, we're thinking about that and mainly because of, of the continued crises that we keep going through, because we have to start to think about that in a, in a much um, different way, because what future we want to make. And seriously, what is the future? Because we're never going to go back to the before times, right? Like this is all different and we have to kind of learn to navigate in this, you know, it, eventually a post pandemic world, I would hope. God, <laughs> It's forever, but it is, it's, it's fully stuff like this major global crises like this. It affects us all. And you, we saw what happened. People lost jobs left and right, right at the beginning of this, right? Businesses closed up. And if you're doing systems like the solidarity economy, you may actually be safer financially in the end. I mean, that's kind of what I'm getting. If you're all cooperatively working together to help each other out. If we had something in place like this, if there was another global pandemic, I mean, maybe we'd be better off. Yeah. And there's examples of, of all this, right? Like, like if you look at research and I think, you know, research take it for what it is, right? Um, but we look at research around the world of worker cooperatives. Worker cooperatives actually uh, last longer than traditional businesses. There's a higher percentage of actual success longer term because of, of worker cooperatives than, than individual businesses. Um you know, there's a really great, like one of the examples of, of looking, thinking about like integrated, like cooperative um, systems is, is, is a little town in Spain called Mondragon. Um, there is like 85,000 people that live in that community that are either a part of or um, in connection to some kind of cooperative initiative. What they did is they started off in education and then they kind of worked in industry and they started to build these cooperatives in, in relationship to each other. So you've got an integrated system. So, you know, if you're a cleaning supply company, right, you're buying and you're a cleaning supply cooperative or your custodial cooperative, right? So you're doing cleaning at, you know, businesses, like where you're buying your, your resources from a, from the cooperative, um, supplier and then they're getting their that produced by a cooperative so like all these things kind of work in relationship to each other and what happens is too is that those things have higher wages 
because the surplus is not going off to some one person or some family who owns the company. It's being held by the cooperative and they decide how it uses. And typically a percentage of that then is reinvested in the community, either create to create more cooperatives, to support schools, all kinds of different things. So you start to think about that, those relationships in a different way and how you're building up the, the need and the support um, in the community. And this Studies have shown that you know the 2008 financial crisis, global financial crisis, like Mondragon was fine. They had built the system in over 50 years, um, and they sustained without having major like labor issues or access to food or all these other things that that many other places had. It's not about you know yes or, or can we do this or can't we do this? We can totally do this. Like it's not hard. Um, we just have to want to, we have to have the desire to, um, and there's going to be a lot of people because they want to make a lot of money and, and hold it by themselves instead of letting their communities be whole in a way that, that they deserve to be. I mean, it's the same issue with participatory budgeting. Like it's, it's something we, that, that Richmond is something that any city could do. It just has to want to do it. And so um, I think getting people to kind of see those values and see what's possible. And then we start to build things. I mean, just in Richmond in the last few years, there's been, I think, three worker cooperatives. One's a coffee cooperative that started up that's over in Scott's Edition. Um, I heard about a language cooperative this morning, actually, that wants to start up, a language justice cooperative. Um, you know, people are thinking differently. They're, 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 they're sick of being paid, poor, being paid poorly, working too much. And... Um, cooperatives are a way to kind of think about that in a different way. Yeah, I think um, attitudes and ideas about finances and economics are really shifting. People are sick and tired of making nothing for busting their butts, right? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, people can say, oh, they're just sitting on their butts and collecting unemployment, but that is not the case. Like, that's really not the case. People are looking for better and other ways to sustain themselves, their family, their community, however their, you know, their living situation is. And yeah, I, I find it to be a very interesting shift. And it's, I, I wouldn't say, you know, it's happening rapidly. I mean, people have been thinking about it for a while, but this, the global pandemic really just threw everyone for a loop. And I mean, now's a great time to be thinking about alternative ways to um, sustain your communities. Speaking of. <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. Like, how how specifically can Richmonders be involved? Um, also, not everybody is, you know, a great orator or an organizer or a door knocker. You know, you everything we have everything from extroverts to extreme introverts around here. Um, so what can folks do, you know, no matter what their, you know, their level of comfort is? Yeah, I mean, if you want to get involved in the solidarity economy, we have a website up. It's like vasolidarity.org. Um, and you can sign up to be on the mailing list there. Um, again, that's, that is a pretty small group of people. It's about, you know, about 80 people in total, like really about 15 to 20 who are kind of really active in it. And we're, we, we tried to, we're, we're non-hierarchical. So, you know, people who come in and put, can play any role. It may be a little intimidating, but like you step in and say, you know, if I want to work on something, we're going to be here to kind of listen to you and think through that. Um, and it's a mix of people working on, you know, everybody from, you know, homeschooling moms who live in Northern Virginia to um, people doing environmental work in the Shenandoah and Appalachia to, um, you know, academics doing research to, you know, it's all kinds of people. Um, and then it's really open to everybody um, to participate. I mean, I would say that you think about, 
you know, if taking it to the individual, right. Taking it to my own experience, like thinking about just how I spend my money is, is a simple thing. I'll, I'll say a few months ago, I went to the pharmacist, like a little tiny little pharmacist here where I live uh, out in rural Albemarle County. And they said, Oh, your insurance company wants you to go buy your, your prescription from, you know, CVS and and it's going to be, so it's going to be more expensive here. And I was like, I'm going to buy here because it's investing in my community. That money stays in my, in my community. It gets, goes out to the accountant. Um, it goes into the taxes. It gets sprint. It gets, it goes to pay for my kids schooling. It goes to pay for all the resources that make my community possible. Um, so I think getting people just to think about like where and what you're buying and, and if you can buy it to support lo- your local economy, that's a real ideal place to start. But then I think, think bigger, like get involved in a mutual aid initiative, get involved in you know, a CSA, a community supported agriculture. Think about your housing, think about different ways that you can access you know, your energy. I mean, not everybody has to use uh, Dominion power. Um, you know, we've got some other um, cooperative energy uh, suppliers in the state uh, that we can look at as alternatives. Um, there's a lot of different ways from the most minute, smallest little action in your life to being a part of a much bigger thing. So you know, participatory budgeting is going to kind of be kicking off more and more in Richmond in the next year. Keep an eye out for that because that's going to need people to be involved. They're going to bring your ideas to the table and help us think about how making um, your communities better and ways that the city can invest in that. Um, so there's a lot of different ways to be involved. Yeah. And, and I, I just want to, you know, give a message to our listeners. Don't be scared to be involved. Even if you are shy, it's totally okay. You know, what's great about this, you know, panoramic pandemonium zoom online stuff, virtual stuff. There's always work for you to do. Even if you aren't getting your hands dirty, there's things that you can do to help out and to further movements and things like that. So please don't ever be shy um, to to find a way to get involved. I mean, and, and if you can't figure it out, you know, you can always hit up Matthew or us and we'll point you in the right direction. Um, happy to do it too. So is there anything I haven't touched on that you want to talk about? Well, one thing I wanted to share is again, kind of coming out of, out of a year's worth of kind of like collective study and thinking and learning. Um, one thing that we've been working on is a map. Um, again, we realized in talking to people that there's a lot going on um, across the state. It's like every corner of the state. Um, so we started to kind of de- develop a map and you'll see that on our website. Um, there's only 10 things on there right now because our goal isn't to just like put a pin on a map and say, oh, here's something. No, our goal is to build solidarity with the work that's going on as a part of that project. Um, so we're always open to listening and hearing from others about what's going on. Uh, so if you have an idea, um, you can actually just go straight to the map and, and, and fill in in the form um, and tell us about something that's going on in your community. And we'll go up onto the map pretty much immediately. Um, we're trying to get an understanding of like what's actually taking place and how where are the needs and the gaps in, in the, in the system, um, you know, so that we can kind of strengthen these efforts across the state over time. Um, it's a long, long ways out, a lot to work to do. Um, right. Nothing's instantaneous y'all like ever. It's a lot of hard work. And that means like people have to be involved. You can't just sit back and wait for like your shot. 
Yeah. And, and it's all volunteer. I mean, none of us, all of us are coming to this because we care about it. Um, no one's getting paid right now to do this work. So, um, and so I think that has brought, again, a really interesting, diverse group of people um, who are thinking really hard about, about this um, and trying to figure out a way that we can continue to kind of you know, build an actual movement, um, and not just be a bunch of individuals doing good work, although that's important. Um, but really thinking about like the, the, the importance of why, of, you know, how my liberation is connected to your liberation. And if we don't think about that and we start to build those relationships, then there's, there's not an ability to actually be liberated. So, um, there's that great quote from, a from, uh, an indigenous artist in, in New Zealand that she basically says, like, if you've come to save me, you might as well just go home. But if you come because your liberation is connected to my liberation, then let's work together. And I think that's a big key piece of what the solidarity economy is trying to do in Virginia. Absolutely. Another thing I liked about Charles' website is that you do have a blog. There's a really awesome uh, post that post up about history that mentions the readjuster party, which I, you know, folks in like our circles understand that, but not everybody else does. So I'm trying to you direct our listeners. Yeah, the re- <laughs> the readjusters. That's like this moment post civil war where an actual like diverse group of people came together to kind of lead the state of Virginia. It was eventually stopped. Um, but it was this beautiful moment where people were really thinking about how do we respond to, you know, this history of slavery and this history of domination that, that we have in the state. Um, and so you know, that's just, again, that's one little like nugget of history that we shouldn't forget. We should know about. Um, and so, like our mapping process is not just about what's happening now, but it's what's happened in the past too. Um, there's a map that we're working on just to like plug in various projects that have been happening around the state over you know the last like century or so. Because we can't forget those. Those are those are what feed us, and and the, those are the foundations that we're working on. So yeah, I'm also a big fan of like public interactive things. So I love that map too. I was like, oh, this is going to be cool when it starts to fill up. This is going to be really cool. As we wrap here, uh, please let us know, uh, let our listeners know how uh, Vasan can be contacted. Yeah. How you can be contacted. Yeah, definitely. So on the website, you can sign up to be on the mailing list. Um, that's an easy, fast, simple thing to do. So there, we don't send out very many emails as of right now. It's probably once a, one a month the most. You can also email me at VA Solidarity Econ, uh, VA Solidarity E-C-O-N um, at gmail.com. Um, that's just our general email that we all share um, um, for anybody who's interested in, in, in talking and learning more. What else? We do have a Slack channel and I'm, I'm not going to go into like what means to get on a Slack channel <laughs> right now, but there, that is there. And again, we it's open to anybody and it's it's full of conversations and ideas and, and organizing efforts and planning about the future. I mean, our goal over the next six months, the 10, the 10 sites that are on the map right now, there's 105 sitting in a spreadsheet and one we're going one by one talking to each one of those groups individually um, to learn from them and to build the connections that we think needs to be built. So yeah, feel free to, you can go into the map and add, an initiative that's going on in your community um, and we'll follow up and be in touch with them. So those are good ways to kind of get involved and, and learn more. Well, I personally cannot wait to learn more and, um, you know, and 
see the progress y'all make. It is, it's pretty exciting. And I do hope that others will reach out to you and give you more information and maybe gather some of their own. So really appreciate you joining us today. Fran, is there anything you want to add? Fran's been, been listening in like a creeper this whole time. I've been creepy, creepy listening. No, I'm listening and I'm enjoying it. You guys are fine. (laughs) (laughs) Well, good. Thank you, Matthew, for joining us today. We really appreciate it. Hope to have you back again too, um, especially as things kind of ramp up. And if you have anything like you want to let us know, even if it's just like 15 minutes chat, just to let our listeners know about your progress, let us know. We're happy to have you. Yeah, we'd love that. You guys are amazing. We'd love, love listening in and hearing from you all too. Thanks. Yeah, we're super happy to be back. Like I've, we've missed this a lot. Thanks. We'll see you later. <laughs> You're free to go. <laughs> I'm going to have Fran wrap us. Yes. Thank you so much, Art. We so certainly appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so, so much for a, a abundance of information that is so important for the community um, to help us move towards a different way and level of thinking um, that's collaborative, that is community rich, and that is also a big old warm hug around you and yours and yeah. that's so important so same thank you so much yeah same to you all it's it's like i know having done something similar to what you all are doing how hard it can be um so uh it's don't it's, tell anybody it's so <laughs> it's so grateful like it's just all this work i mean it, it's 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 really vital and you're yeah. filling a, a really major role like in providing information to people that just isn't there anymore it, we're all interconnected though thank like you. it's all interconnected yes. thank you so much yeah we just we want to try to get information out yeah. there educate folks pass it on and uplift the voices of of, of groups like yours what you're mm-hmm. doing is super important um and it really does like francis a different way of thinking like it's time for a shift. It really is time for a shift. And um, I hope we have many more conversations like this. Definitely. You'll have to come to one of the, when we, once the participant are budgeting things, you'll have to come to one of the sessions and you do some kind of live recording or something like that. Fun. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Happily. But well, you have to be able to spell it first. Fran, do you want to take us out? I sure can. Thank you listeners again for tuning in to another Ah, pandemic, panda bear, panoramic version of RVA Dirt Municipal Mania. We'd like to thank our guests. And as always, Glen still has dirty water. New Jersey does too. And I think Petersburg might, y'all might want to check on your neighbors. Check on your neighbors. Ah, RPS was fully funded last year. And this year they bust us wide open with like $22 million more that they need. So we need to figure that out because we need them to be fully funded, okay? And I know it, you know it, we all know together. Richmond is most certainly still racist, but we're working on it one day at a time. Fran's wearing a super hot leather shirt for y'all who can't see this. Yes. I've got on my whip your butt shirt. This whole time I've been like, man, Fran looks hot today. (laughs) I mean, Fran looks hot all the time, but it's that leather, it's the leather, it's the texture. I try my best, I try my best. Peace out, my dudes.